Hey guys, let's, let's get after it. Um, I'm going to pray and we're going to take off. If you want to, while I'm praying, you can sneak into Nehemiah chapter 4, okay? So you go to the middle of your Bible, just slightly to the left, you're going to hit Psalms. Just before Psalms, you're going to get to Nehemiah, okay? So just go there. That's where it's at. I want you to head there, but let me pray for the, us in this room. Let me praise and thank God. It's already been so good this morning, all right? If this is your first time ever attending Athos, welcome. We love you. We're glad you're here. If you're a brother and sister and you're a member here, welcome back, friends. Let's get excited. Let's pursue Jesus again this week, and we're going to start in Nehemiah 4. God, it's very clear you're here and in this place. We don't have to pray and beg for you to show up because your Bible, your word, which is from your mouth through men, tells me that where the people are, there's the Spirit. And there's more than two or three gathered in here. And so, Spirit of God, you just do what you always do when we'll open our hands and yield our hearts to you. And Jesus, we want to thank you for rescuing our friend Jeff. Thank you for transforming him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading him uh, not just into region, but leading him into your gospel and setting him free. And thank you for the 16 others who've been able to experience your grace and love. Thank you for the 130 believers who are members at Outpost who've experienced your loving kindness. And every single one of us are in a different place in our faith, but we thank you, God, that that it's okay to be where we're at. You're not mad at us for being where we're at. It's just not okay to stay there. So God, thank you that in our journey, you're standing shoulder to shoulder with us, smiling, happy, and in love with us. Cannot believe that, Lord. I love you. Thank you. Amen. All right, guys. Well, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. Last week, Jake Williams taught Nehemiah 2. Anybody here for that? Did a great job. Thank you, Jake, wherever he is. Um, was in Nehemiah 2. I'm going to recap a little bit of Nehemiah 1, 2, 3, and 4. And honestly, these four chapters are just a journey of following Jesus, okay? I titled them four different things, all right? The first week, talked about broken and humble, all right? Let me just go through how I titled these. Broken and humble, vision for mission, rise and build, and today, opposition. That's the journey with Jesus. First starts with brokenness and humility. I think C.S. Lewis got it right. You can't come to Jesus until you realize you need Jesus, all right, Jesus is not some felt-board character who's here to make you feel good about yourself. He's here to rescue you. He's the most brilliant and wildly wonderful 30, 30 to 32-year-old man who's ever lived on the planet. It was amazing. He's amazing. And he did not come to just make you feel good about yourself. He came to rescue you. And he came to rescue you from you, right, Jeff? Because the, the biggest enemy in your life, sorry, ladies, it's not your husband. All right? The biggest enemy in your life is who? It's you. No one's lied to you more than you. No, nobody's misled you more than you. You are your biggest problem. And so am I. I'm not your biggest problem. Okay, let's be clear. <laughs> I am my biggest problem. Some of you are like, yeah, amen and amen. All right. So broken and humble. That's where it starts, man. We're, there was a broken humility, 2005, when I gave my life to Jesus. Then there's a vision for mission, a new mission for life. He's got a new purpose. All right? Rise and build. It's time to get to work. And then in our faith, we are always, when you decide to really follow Jesus, some of you, you kind of th think you are, but you haven't done anything. But when you really decide to just like, you know what? I'm going to trust you, and we're going to go. We're going to rise. We're going to build. We're going to get to work. Let's do this. I'm trusting you, but we're going to get to work. When you do that, you will always face opposition. Always. If so, nobody told you that when you gave your life to Jesus, I apologize for that. But the reality is, it's going to get ugly before it gets really great. 
And so today we're going to look at opposition. We're going to talk about that challenge. We're going to look at it. Now, hey, this last week, by God's grace and his loving kindness for me, I got to go to Israel. A lot of you didn't know that. It's not that I was trying to keep a big secret. I just didn't talk about it. Um, but got to go to Israel. And here's what I want to tell you guys. I got, so we're talking about a rebuilding of the walls and a restoration of the people. And I got to walk on the walls, not Nehemiah's walls. We don't really know where those are. They're kind of somewhere around there. Uh, the Herodian walls. Um, but got to walk on the walls and see why walls matter. And I got to hear the history of the Jews. You guys know in the 1940s, the Jews didn't have a place. Am I right? And so six million of them were destroyed, put on cattle carts, shipped in, burned to death, don't exist anymore. And so the UN decided we need to give these people a place. And so they gave them a place because having a place matters. Having a place matters. Having a home and a walls and protection matters. I walk through walls that have bullet holes as they fought to have a position in this world so that Hungary and Austria and Germany and all these places can't just give them up to be slaughtered and completely forgotten. I was reminded that not just in Nehemiah's day does it matter, but in our day, not even a hundred years ago, they murdered six million of them because they did not have a place to defend themselves. So this story matters. And friends, it matters today. And it's not about the walls. It's not about this Baptist building we're in. It's about you. Do not get confused, guys. Do not dishonor what God has done to save you. Do, do not dishonor the value that God has put on you as a human being. You are not this building. So when people say, hey, we're going to go to your church, we're going to go to church. I'd be like, what are you talking You should go, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, out there on, you know, 4 South Fork Road. I'd be like, hold on, you're confused. Do not associate me with a building. Jesus did not die for this building. He died for me. He did not cover this building with blood. He covered me with blood. If you're looking for the church, I'm standing right here. Do not dishonor what Christ did for you by associating yourself with this building. It's not the building. But thank God we have this building, right? It'd be a little breezy and distracting in here right now, right? Birds flying over, dropping mess. All right. Buildings and position and place and a dwelling, it really matters. But we're going to see as we go through Nehemiah, right now we're still in the section of rebuilding the walls, it's all for restoring the people. You hear me? We're here in this building to restore people. Don't get confused. We're about you. We're not about this building. Okay? That's why these walls are still not painted. And there's those people who are sitting back there, see there's still swatches painted on the wall. Because we don't care. We care about you. All right? So, broken and humble, vision and mission, rise and build, opposition. We're going to talk about opposition this week. Here's my thesis statement for this chapter. If you want to write this down so you know what this chapter is all about, it's basically this. And here's the thesis statement of my trip to Israel. Okay? Do you want to ask me more? I've got tons of pictures on my phone I'd love to show you. You, know, you would make me feel really loved. All right? I'd sit with you for two hours and tell you everything. Um, here is the thesis statement. Guys, listen. God is our solution and our hope in the face of opposition. That thesis statement is far more meaningful than you can ever imagine. And you'll know it when you face opposition. So let's get into it, okay? Opposition, we're going to look at four things, that uh, forms of opposition we see in the story that I think apply to us. Number one is mocking, threats, self-doubt, and peer pressure. Anybody recognize any of those? Anybody feel any of them? Cool. So this is going to be relevant. Hey, who knew? Bible's relevant. Okay? Mocking, threats, self-doubt, peer pressure, if we have time. And I doubt we will. 
We're going to get into faith and action. So faith, action, support, and excellence. All right? A new phase. Faith, action, support, and excellence. Let's get into opposition. Before we begin this story of opposition, let me tell you Jesus' words for you. Just to remind you, let's let Jesus have the first word as we go into this word. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he says this, Blessed, listen to these words, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because you associate with me. He says, listen to this, rejoice and be glad. Like Chet, so glad to be back. It's better than Wisconsin. Rejoice. Be glad. Was it Minnesota? That doesn't matter. That's all southern Canada. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You're in a lineage. Rejoice. So last week in Nehemiah chapter 2, you guys read this. It said in chapter 2, verse 10, it said, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone uh, had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. It's going to make people angry that you, the church, are coming into Cody to seek the welfare of the people. There are going to be people who are legit upset about that. I already know because I've already felt it and I've already seen it. But also there's spiritual forces of evil are going to stand against you. Now let me tell you about Sambalot, Tobiah, and he's going to talk about Geshem later. Okay, so Sambalot is the governor of Samaria. It's a place that's still in Israel right now where the Palestinians are. Tobiah is likely the governor of Ammon, who's a longtime enemy of Ammonites, longtime enemy of the people of Israel. And then Geshem is the leader of the, of the of really powerful group of Arabians. And I'll tell you right now, there are a lot of Arabians in the Middle East who still hate the Jews to this day. These, this is a war that's still going on. These are regional leaders. And here's the thing. These regional leaders in this day, in Nehemiah's time, are just rejoicing over the fact that this feeble little band of Jews, these little meaningless, powerless Jews, are just sitting in their torn down walled city. They just love it. Look at those guys, weak little Jews, right? Weak little Jews. On my phone, I have a picture of these Germans who are holding a Jewish man, this little Jewish man, and chopping off his beard and smiling. That's how these men felt about the Jews. We just rejoice in your weakness, okay? But then Nehemiah, uh, he comes in, and he's not like Zerubbabel, and he's not like Ezra, who came right before him to rebuild the Temple Bell and to, uh, you know, reestablish the law. Those guys, when Tobiah and those guys showed up and challenged them, they kind of cowered and hid back, and for 12 years did nothing. But Nehemiah shows up, and he's not playing any games. Nehemiah is a strong, courageous leader, and he is not going to stand for it. In fact, at the end of chapter 2, you guys read and heard this. This is what he said. Right back in the face of these guys, he says this. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Just right in their face. So in essence, what Nehemiah is basically saying, guys, understand your Bible. This is what he's saying. He's basically saying this. Hey, you have no right to this land. It's ours. You have no claim here, right? You have no right to worship here. You have no right over our resources here. This is ours, and we're going to rebuild it right in your face. And who's going to help them do it? Starts with a G, rhymes with odd. God, all right? 
Again, I'm going to constantly try to help you, but you got to help yourself, all right? God. So God is going to, he calls and he says, look, the God of heaven. So we're seeing faith here. Guys, this is faith. It's faith in action. You're going to see it over and over and over. It's a bold move. And it's a bold move that, listen, many people are sheep and not sheepdogs. But Nehemiah is a sheepdog. He's coming in. But here's the great thing about sheepdogs. Sometimes sheepdogs give sheep confidence to go to places they wouldn't have gone before if it wasn't for that dog. Am I right? So God raises up certain men to say, hey, I will go out before you, but come with me. Let's go. And so the people needed somebody like Nehemiah. And thank God he raised up somebody like Nehemiah to come in. Some of you are Nehemiahs. And just because you're not a Nehemiah doesn't mean that you're less than. God has designed you for specific purposes, but some men God has designed to rise up, to go ahead. Some of you, it's women who, I texted a group of guys this morning, I said, hey, does anybody want to do this? And there's one woman on the text, and the only one who volunteered was the woman. Praise God for women. Because you have courage where men are frail little birds. No offense to those men, somewhere out of town. Okay, so they get to work. I'm losing, I told you, I don't know if we're going to make it. Here we go. So, but here's the thing. So they, in chapter 3, we see them all. They all rise up, and all the families that live in this area just say, hey, you know what? We'll take this part of the wall right here. We'll get to building. And so you have this amazing picture in chapter 3. Go read it if you haven't read it. It's this amazing picture. It's something you skip over. You're like, oh, that family, and this family, and that family. You missed something here. It would be like every family in here going, hey, give me a piece. I want to do this too. I'm in. I want to build. I'll bring my finances, I'll bring my family, I'll bring my strength, I'll bring my wheelbarrow, let's do this. I'm in, right? And so all of them do it. But here's the thing, there's something that happens in chapter 3, and I don't want to give these guys too much time, because I think their foolishness is extremely apparent. But over in chapter 3, verse 5, there's a group of people who don't get involved. Did you guys notice this? Anybody read it? Who are they? Who is it? Chapter 3, verse 5. The nobles of the Tekoites, the nobles, why don't they get involved? It's pretty, pretty obvious, right? Because in their foolishness and pride and ego, they thought, this is, this is servant stuff. This ain't for me. This ain't for me. That kind of attitude's tear down a lot of churches. So I'm going to tell you right now, very simply put, don't be the Tekoite nobles. Those men are fools. So now, okay, the work is about to begin. They're getting after it. But here comes opposition, and the first opposition we're going to see is mocking, jeering is the word it's going to be used. Let's read it together. Now, when Sambalot heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. It's like real cute. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Uh-oh. So, don't worry about it. We're going to keep going. Sorry about that. Guys, I'm so, pray for your chair. All of these are dangerous. All right. He says this. Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Check this out. Tobiah jumps in. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down, their stone wall. If a fox gets on it, it's going to tear it down. What are they doing? They're just making fun of them. They're taunting them. They're mocking them, right? 
Now, mockery is the least difficult form of opposition you're going to face. It's the least difficult, but it still has power. And guys, the people it has power the most over in this room are our young brothers and sisters in the faith. Okay, I just had a conversation last night with somebody about this, that you guys who are in high school and middle school and you're trying to follow Jesus, you are, your faithfulness in following Jesus is so swayed by the opinions of your friends and they're mocking you or even the thought of them possibly mocking you. But friends, don't let it be the case. Don't let your foolish teenage friends tell you whether or not God of the universe who created them has any say over your life. You hear me? And you who are older in the faith, you are called to set the example. But the problem, guys, is some of you are older in your faith, and you can be upset with me all you want. I'm not really worried about your feelings. Some of you treat your faith like it's a... um, what are those things where they, they, like they sew pieces of cloth together to make blankets? What do you, what do you call that? Quilt. Quil- it's like a quilting club. It's like a, it's like a little quilting hobby, right? And you and your little, your little band of people, you get down in your basement and you quilt together your faith, right? It's real cute. And you go to your quilting convictions and you do that. But your faith is all in that place. There's no courage in it. No cur- it's just a little hobby that you have. And it's behind a lot of other things that are priority in your life. You know what the young people want? You know what Isaac Ellsbury wants? He wants to look up and see a group of men who are going to be courageous in their faith. And they're not worried about losing their jobs. They're not worried about what other people might think about them. They're courageously going, no, I believe in God. This ain't no hobby for me. This is my life. They're looking for those men. That's what they need, our next generation needs. And that's what they're wanting right now. Mockery is the least oppressive form of opposition we're going to get. Right? They're going to make fun of, and they're going to make fun. They're going to make fun of us for Jeff getting up and sharing that. To them, they go, "Are y'all crazy? Your sex ethics, those are crazy. Why would you guys have that? Why would you limit yourself? Right? Why would you give your money and time attention to these poor, lowly people? Why would you fight for the unborn? Why would you not just pursue freedom? Y'all are a crazy group of people, and they have every right to say that. But we go, "Hey, I'm crazy for Jesus." And I trust that where Christ is leading me is better than where I was led before when I was following the same thought that you're walking in. And I don't mean any judgment on you, just as Jeff was saying. I'm just saying that that way leads to destruction, and I see that now. And the way of Christ leads me to life, and I just, I'm just bold enough to say it. So stop treating your faith like a quilting hobby, all right? And if you quilt, love it. I love quilts. Keep at it, <laughs> right? But let's call it what it is. It's just a, it's a hobby. It better not be your faith. And so the first thing it starts off with is mocking. So blessed are you when those who revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Isaac, if they mock you in the school and say, you're a believer, why are you acting like this? And be like, hey, listen, I, it makes me happy to see that you can tell that I'm not like you. And I don't mean that arrogantly. It says a lot about what God has done in my life to change me. So all praise be to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about it. Perhaps maybe you won't think about taking your own life, because I have life now. This is a real deal, y'all, okay? So we got to live in the maturity of that faith. So first thing we do is, uh, first thing we see is that they're mocked. So they get mocked, and what does Nehemiah do when he gets mocked? What do we do? He says, we pray, and then you get back to work. You get back to work. Look at verse 4. This is immediately after them mocking him. Nehemiah says, hear, O our God. For we are despised. Listen to what he says. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. 
Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you in the, uh, to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, here's the thing. I think, I think a lot of Christians, you read that and you go, man, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Should I start praying, you know, for those high school friends that make fun of me? God, bring down fire on their heads. Destroy them. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. You probably shouldn't pray this prayer. And it's funny, but here's what's, you know what's, this, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible's real. This is a real prayer. And I think what happens, you guys grew up in the, in the pacifist West. And pacifism is something that grew up, that was birthed in the suburbs of the West. This idea that, ah, just let it go like it doesn't matter. Why? Because the worst opposition we face is mockery. But if you go to Eastern Europe and you talk to these families who their, th- their son's throats were slit and their daughters were raped and their, their villages were burned to the ground, you don't go, hey, just let it go. You don't say that to them. You don't say that to them. You shut your mouth. And this is the kind of prayer they pray. They go, God, listen, I'm not going to go to war right now against them. But God, what I do pray is for your justice. This is a prayer for justice. It's a prayer of faith in God. Saying, God, listen, I know that you are better at bringing justice than I am, and your wrath will be worse than my wrath. And it's only according to your wrath that I'll show any mercy. But if God, you brought no justice, if God was not just, I'm going to bring my justice, and I will destroy myself. But this is a prayer of faith. And what do they do? They pray in faith. I trust this justice to you, Lord. And then what do they do next? They get back to work. They get back to work. Church, do you hear that? They get back to work. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people. What does it say? Verse 6. What do the people have? Say it. The people had what? They had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. You, you uh, Arabians, you Sumerians, you leader, you're a distraction. I got a mind to work. Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Proverbs 4.26, ponder the path of your own feet and all your ways will be sure. These men are going, I got one mission, that's trust in faith, God. He'll bring justice. All right, so don't let mockery stop your mission. Friends, the Isaacs in the room, young men, old men, women, do not let mockery or the thought of mockery keep you from mission. Keep going, but... They're not going to stop at mockery. What do they do after mockery? They bring threats. Here comes the threats. But when Sambalot and Tobiah, verse 7. Okay, take your index finger go there. That's why it's good to have a Bible with you. But when Sambalot and Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, which are kind of like where the Philistines used to live, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Wait a second. I thought making fun of you would stop this. Right? What are these guys like? They're the bully on the playground. They're the bully on the playground, right? They're used to just like making fun of people and shutting everybody down. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it, right? They're trying to scare. And we pr- look what they do next. Again, faith followed by action. And we pray to our God. Our hope is in God. And then we set a guard as a protection against them day and night because we're not fools. Okay. This is just so good. So Sambalot and Tobiah, these guys, they are the bullies in the playground. And you know what, you know what fixes bullies on playgrounds? What is it? Yeah. What is it? Just checking them. 
checking them. There was, when I was a kid, we lived with this family, and there was this girl. Her name's Jennifer, and she was bigger than us, okay? And it was, we were down in Roswell, New Mexico, East Grand Plains. It's like, uh, it snowed a ton, and this girl, like, jumped on my brother and was, like, holding him down and shoving snow in his face. That's a bully. So you know what I did? I run up, and I punched that girl in the face, and I jumped on her. And so I said, hey, I'm going to check you. You know what happened three seconds later? I was on my back getting snow put in my face. But you know what? I stood my ground, right? And so got beat up by a girl. Just confess that. Um, guys, it means that somebody's got to stand up. But here's the thing. Nehemiah, he isn't budging. He's not going to bow back down to this. He holds his position. But I need you for a second to appreciate what Nehemiah is doing. Because you go, yeah, man, way to stand up to him. You need to understand that Nehemiah standing up to these men is not just him risking his own life. When they come, they're not coming to kill just Nehemiah. He's risking the lives of 50,000 people, including women and children, by standing up to these guys. Do you understand that position? It's as if here in Cody, we've got 10,000 people, right? It's as if here in Cody, we've got, there's an army in Billings, an army over in Warland, an army in Casper, and they're saying, hey, we'll come and destroy you. And me going, hey, we're going to stand up, we're going to rebuild the walls, we're going to keep going. You know what would happen? Let's, let's keep this real, guys. Half of you, a small portion of you go, yes, that's courage, let's do it, I'm behind you. And a massive portion of us would go that, do this. You are stupid. You're an absolute stupid fool. You are the epitome of stupidity. You know, that's what they would say. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's lay it down. Let's negotiate with Billings. Let's negotiate with Warland. Let's negotiate with Casper. Let's just stop this. We're not going to, we're going to lose. You wouldn't call me courageous. You would call me a fool if I decided to do that. Am I right? That's what they do. You need to understand if you stand your faith in Christ, there are going to be Christians in this room that go, hey, stop being a fool. Stop doing that. Stop pressing like that. And I'm just going to go, look, hey, listen. Now you see. There's a difference between wanting to follow and trust and faith in God and you being afraid of men. So go be afraid of men, but we're going to stay here and we're going to rebuild the wall. You hear me? Many of you, are, when the time comes, you'll run. I hope it's not true, but you will. And I'm warning you now. I'm warning you now that I hope that I'm ready to be stand and be courageous. Whether I'm the Nehemiah or I've got to follow a Nehemiah, that I go, let's go, I'll do it. Let's do this. Not to go to war with swords, but to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To stand for the unborn, to stand for the oppressed. We're going to see all of it in Nehemiah, in this book. But friends, you need to choose. When they threaten, will you trust God or will you let their threats tear down your walls? Listen to Psalm 2. This is what Nehemiah had. He had this psalm. Listen to this psalm. It's brilliant. So good. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen. Maybe it will be. Psalm 2, it says, the reign of the Lord anointed. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Do you hear that? God's going, you're hilarious. You're hilarious. Billings, Warlin, Casper, you're hilarious in my eyes. What makes you think you have any control? I will use you for my means. This is what people who trust in God, this is the kind of God that we're trusting in. Our God plays no games. All right? Jesus ain't your homeboy. He's a warrior. 
I, tell, I, will tell of the, uh, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You, will, uh, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to the pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. All right, I'm going to I'm going to go sideways right here. I don't know how much time I got. I just got to tell you Jesus Jesus was I don't know. I want to say bad A, but I won't. And so Jesus this is amazing, guys. Uh, the Roman world, the Roman world did not look like it would ever come down. Right? You know it has, right? But in that day, it would be like me going to a book, like Legends bookstores and going, hey, I'm going to buy out Legend bookstores, and guys, this is what we're going to do, all right? I'm going to, we're going to sell books, and then we're going to start selling books online, okay? And then listen, listen, join me. I'm going to start selling other things along with books, and one day, we're going to take down Amazon. Who's with me? Yeah, you giggle, because you'd be like, bro, you are crazy. You're not taking down Amazon. That's what it was like when Jesus looked at his 12 and go, listen, guys, you see this Roman world? I'm going to smash it, and I'm going to make the nations my heritage. You know what's amazing? This, this blows my mind. So we got to stand at the temple. So this is where Jesus, where all the people would have flowed to get into the temple. All the peasants would have gone through this door, so all of us would have gone through these doors to get into the temple grounds. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes on these people, and they're able to speak in tongues. In other words, they're able to speak in a way that everyone understands them, right? And the nations have come in. So they're coming up here, and they go through these pools of, of ritual cleansing, okay? And so they go into these pools, ritually cleanse themselves, and they start to go up the steps, and they're going to go and worship God. And all of a sudden, they start hearing these guys up there speaking the glory of God and the gospel in their own language. And there's thousands of them. I'm talking, this is a massive event. And they're all there, and they're going, what is going on here? And so everybody tunes in and listens, right? When you start hearing them speak in your language, and then another guy hears it, and you go, what is this? And so I got to stand on the steps where Peter preaches the gospel to all these people and where the church began. This is so crazy. And they came up, and they're on the steps. The pools of all the cleansing are right behind them. They hear the gospel, and their hearts are destroyed. They're broken and humble. And so Peter, and then they go, what do we do? And Peter says, I'll tell you. You put your faith in the man you killed, the man you destroyed. He's overturning the world. You know what they do? 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus right there in that spot. They turned around, and it says that they, they repented and were baptized. You know what repented means? As they were going up the steps, they turned around, went back to the pools. They were right behind them, and they baptized them in there saying, and they never did ritual cleansing again. They never had to dunk themselves in this pool for ritual cleansing because now they were baptized into a new life. And they, you could see it. They went back down, they were baptized, they go out, and you could see the city of Israel, right, or of Jerusalem right there. And then it says they went out there and they lived a wildly different life. And the life they lived there, eventually God came and struck down one of the men and allowed one of the men to die. And that church took off and it went primi primarily westward, went up into Europe and for hundreds of years went through there and then up through you know, England and across over to the United States. And then we had revivals in the United States and it went across the United States through the Billy Graham and all these people to us. And then in California, they had a revival, and then it jumped over, and then China became the number one growing church in the entire world, and now guess who's the number one fastest growing church in the whole world right now? Who is it? Iran. The enemies of Israel are coming to Jesus faster than any place in the world. 
And I stood on the steps where Jesus started it, and it's now almost all the way around the world, and I'm looking at the Roman ruins. You guys are worshiping Jesus because of what Peter started right there through the power of the Spirit. Who can, like, this is God going, I laugh at you nations. I laugh at you. You will be ruins that people will pay thousands of dollars to come and see and go, oh, well, that's cute. You hear me? That was a, that was a big sidestep. But it was a good one. And uh, it's a good one because, guys, what we're believing in, it ain't no joke. Jesus is not a joke. It's not a joke. All right, let's keep going. Is this good? Jesus is king. Let's keep going. All right. Nehemiah 4. All right. After, here comes, I think, the one you guys are really facing right now. Because many of you are not living your faith in a way where people are attacking you or uh, they're maybe even mocking you, right? Really what you guys have a lot of going on right now is self-doubt and peer pressure. These are the, these are the dirty two. They're so, these are like, these are like the green berets of the four. They sneak in behind enemy lines and begin to speak the language and they trick you. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. All right? By ourselves, we're not able to rebuild the wall. Self-doubt begins to kind of creep in. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and we kill them and stop the work. Right? And the enemies are continuing to threaten. And then listen to this. At that time, the Jews who lived there, near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Hey, guys, come home. Hey, stop what you're doing. You've got to return to us. Are you kidding me? Are you still doing this? Listen, come home. Stop doing this. Hey, return to us. Man, how many times do I got to tell you it's not going to work? Return home. Why do you keep wanting to pursue God and trust him? Can't you see this isn't going to work? Come home. Quit it. Nobody's going to like you. It's embarrassing. Why don't you return home, come and do this so we don't have to face this? Can you imagine that pressure? Pressure after pressure after pressure after pressure over and over. As you're looking at these walls and you're like, are we really going to get this done? This is crazy. We can't do this. And they're going to attack us in the middle. I don't have time to build and fight. And all of your family is just saying, come home. How many of you guys, like, your mom calls? She's like, when are you going to come visit me? Right? You're like, mom, listen, I promise. I'm just working. It's just over and over and over. I mean, this is the pressure. You know, the, the Navy SEALs, to become a Navy SEAL, you've got to go through something called BUDS, right? And BUDS is just this, uh, just this crucible of opposition, okay? It's a crucible of opposition. And the whole time, though, it can end anytime you want it to end. It can end. You know how it ends? They had this little golden bell. And these men are evil. Because they don't have this bell sitting in one location. They take this bell everywhere you go. So when you're on the beach and you're freezing to death and you've got sand in your crotch that's worn a hole in your legs and you're sitting here going, I don't want to do this anymore. The bell's sitting there shining in the golden uh, Southern California sun just right there just going, hey, come ring me. You can quit anytime you want. Just go home. Right? When you're on the pool deck and they're making you drown or they got your goggles full of water leaning back and the water's trickling down your throat, you can see that bell still sitting right there. It's just, come on, come ring me. You can quit anytime you want. You can stop this. Just go home. And they do that on purpose. And friends, this is what you're living in. But here's the thing. I think your opposition is worse than buds. Because your opposition does not come through this pain like it does for the seals. It comes through, it comes through affluence. 
You get beaches as well. But these beaches, they're not there to destroy you. They're there to distract you. Your vacations. You guys are on pool decks as well. But those pools are to distract you, not to drown you. But the problem is they will distract you from God and keep you from following him. And let me tell you some more of your distractions. Some of you, what's keeping you from following God is your children. You've made your children God. And I want to tell you right now, they are really horrible gods. Some of you, it's funny, yeah. It's funny, it's just not funny. Your children, your sports, your job, your friendships, the approval of those around you and those you play golf with, how much money you have, every, all these things, they're just they're distractions. And they're sneaky, man. They're green berets. They get behind the lines of your life and your soul and they distract you from following God. And they make you, ve- they make you weak men. Have you guys heard the saying? Weak men create hard times. And hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Right now, we're in the good times. And you know what good times create? Weak men. That's why our boys, you look at our boys, I, I don't really put up with when people want to criticize our young men, like Isaac and some of these guys here. I don't put up with it. Because the reality is, we raised them. Right? Now, I thank God for the men who created good times in this country. But I'm telling you, good times create weak men, and weak men are going to do something that I think that we, is unprecedented in the United States. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom. I just want to face the reality. You guys don't want to pursue Jesus, and it's nice out. It's so nice out. Right? It's hoodie weather in your faith right now. It's comfortable. Just coffee, latte faith. I just want to meet with people at a coffee shop and talk. Okay. I, I Listen, I love lattes and coffee. I mean, how many times have you all seen me at the station? I've kept that place in business. Solo. But let me ask you guys. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you lost a friend because of your faith in God. You lost a friend because of your faith in God, because you believe in Jesus. Raise your hand if you lost a job because of your faith in God. You lost your job because you believe in Jesus. A few hands. Raise your hand if your family has abandoned you because you believe in Jesus. Okay, lastly, raise your hand if someone close to you has been imprisoned, lost their property, or their life because of their faith in Jesus. Look around. Anybody see any hands? Guys, if I were to read this in other rooms in this world, hands would be going up everywhere. Everywhere. And you know those people, they're more blown away by your faith than their own faith. Because where they live, I've, I've heard this said. They go, they look at you, and you have all the freedom and all the things in the world. And they go, why do you even believe? You have everything. We believe because we have nothing, and all we have is God. Your faith is a miracle. But guys, there's a war out there. We've got to go to war. It's not about the building. It's not about restoring the building. It's about restoring the people. And there are thousands going to a crisis eternity. We cannot be sitting around sipping lattes in our little, uh, you know, crochet faith. In our little clubs. Right? We got kids who are killing themselves more in this state than any state in the country per capita. Do you want to do something? We're needing Nehemiahs. But listen, here's what I want you to see before we, as I wrap this up. Because I'm not even going to teach half of this. And the second half is like my favorite part. So, you know, man sets his, you know, man plans his ways, right? Lord sets his steps. Here's what, here's what I want you to understand. 
courage uh, is not always right in the wrong situation. It's not always good to be courageous. It depends on what your courage is founded on. Do you hear me? So here's what I don't want to do. I have a good, I'm really, God has gifted me to being a rah-rah guy, getting you motivated to go and do your faith. Some of you are doing things in your faith right now you never would have done if somebody didn't step up and rah-rah you into your faith. And it's amazing. I don't think it's my fault. I think God's just been gracious to me and gracious to all of us. Praise be to God. But I, what I don't want you to do is run out of here and be act foolish. I want you to be courageous. What's the difference? When your courage is based on Okay, when your courage is based on your competency, how good you are with your Bible and your faith and all that, and that's what your courage is based on, your Bible calls that foolishness. So don't let how good you are be the thing that dictates your courage. Stop sitting, how many of you guys, I mean, how many times I've heard this, where you go, I'd share my faith, but I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Like, cool, that's a fool's answer. It's not about whether or not you have the right answer. It's about doing what Jeff just did and go, look, Hey, there's a great story in the, in the New Testament, in the gospel, where the blind man, they kept asking, you know, who healed you? Who healed you? Blah, blah, blah. And they question. He goes, listen, guys, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Best testimony you can ever give. Right? Isaac, you hear me? Hey, listen, all I know is I ain't perfect, but I used to be blind. But thanks to Jesus, I can see things a little more clearly. So praise be to God. That's all I got for you. When your courage is based on the odds, like I'm going to be courageous in my faith if the odds are in my favor. That's called, that's foolish. Don't do that. Or how about this one? This is every one of you in the room. I'm going to be courageous based on how well I might be accepted if I'm courageous. Will they receive me? Are they going to get mad at me? Are they going to be offended? What is it going to look like? Okay, if your courage is based on whether or not they will accept you, that's foolish. Because people are fickle. But a courage that is based on God, that is wise. Because he's the one who sits in heaven, and he looks at the Romes of this world, the Amazons of this world, and he goes, I laugh at you, because you have no idea. You hear me? What is, the opinion, what is the opinion of man compared to God? So, now we got to get to work. we got to have faith in God. All of this is based on our faith and trust in God. So my question really, at the end of the day, end of this morning, for you is this. As you leave to go into your Monday, and I hope you have a wonderful, amazing great week of worship. My question is, do you trust God as you go into it? Or are you trusting in something else? Do you actually trust God? And then if you do trust God, that should lead to getting to work. It should lead to action. You hear me? In the face of all opposition, it's your faith in God will determine your actions in the face of that opposition. And guys, I want you to be vigilant. While we were, we were sleeping in a hotel on the Sea of Galilee, um, it was really awesome. But at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., four rockets uh, sent from an Israeli base were flo- flew right over our hotel. I didn't hear it because I was so dog-tired, but many of our group heard it. Just whoom, rocket, rocket, going into Samaria and blowing up some people. And the reason is is because uh, Israel, even right now, is super vigilant and constantly watching their borders and paying attention to what's going out there. So if they see some people doing some things, they go, no, that's it. Not going to put up with it. And they know, listen to me, the, the Israelis know that around them, people are not wanting to talk terms and be nice. They're wanting to kill them. 
I want you to understand something, guys. If you're deciding that you want to possess what God has given you and that the Holy Spirit has possessed your heart and you decide you want to follow him, know that the spiritual enemy around you wants to kill you. So be vigilant. Trust in the Lord. Lead not on your own understanding. And all you do, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Amen? Let's go. Father, thank you for your loving kindness to us. Thank you for this message. Thank you for Nehemiah's courage and willingness to trust you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in Israel. We pray that every Israeli would come to know Jesus, the true Messiah. And I pray here in Cody, Wyoming, that there would be a, this band of brothers and sisters right here who are meeting in this room, where they're that are followers of you. I pray that they would be emboldened to be courageous today. That they wouldn't leave, get in their car and go, man, that was a great message. But they would leave that stupid language behind and go, you know what? Isn't our God good? And so God, help us to follow you as we get into our, our Suburbans and our Ford Escapes and our, our Priuses. And help us to go out into this real world in this real neighborhood with real people, with real classmates, real teammates, real coworkers, and real bosses and real family and help us to live courageously and boldly on mission with humility and kindness and faith, trusting in you. Help us, God. We need your help. Amen. Hey, why don't you guys stand? Let's worship Jesus one more time.